Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome, everybody, to this week's edition of our ShawLocal.com Bears Insider Podcast. I am Hub Arkish, and our Shaw Media Group Sports Editor is alongside Kyle Neighbors, as he is every week. Uh, our Chicago Bears beat reporter, Sean Hammond, uh, take a little break this weekend. He's down catching some sun before we head to the Combine in Indianapolis. And uh, Sean, fresh off being chosen, one of the Top 10 beat reporters, I believe, in the country by the Associated Press Sports Editors. And uh, so getting a little fun in the sun there, Kyle. I guess you earned that after a good year's work. Yeah, Sean's done a great job uh, all, all year long um, on the Bears beat. It was really cool to see him uh, recognize among the best in the nation, at, at, you know, um, at, at doing what he does, uh, being a good beat reporter. Yeah, he is. He's a really talented young man and, and really has taken to the beat. And did I, I didn't really see the whole thing. I was just happy to hear the announcement that he had been selected. But I think there were, of the 10, two Bears beat reporters. Was Dan Weeder of the Tribune included too? Yeah, so there's different um, category sizes. So like ESPN, uh, you know, the largest newspapers and largest websites compete in the, the biggest group. And Dan was among those. And Dan, of course, does a great job for the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, and and yes, we do compete, but we also work and live together all year long on that beat in a small room and tight quarters, dealing with a lot of the same issues. And Dan, uh, uh, a good friend, I know Sean would want to congratulate him too. So for the two of them uh, to have, uh, you know, two of the NFL's best right here in Chicago shouldn't surprise us. Best sports fans in the world, and now some of the some of the best media as well. Um, and it is interesting, it, it you know, interesting year to be on the beat. We we kind of recovered somewhat from the the real COVID lockdowns of 2020, playing games in empty stadiums, never getting out to Hallis Hall to where we started the year uh, reasonably normally, allowed back uh, at Hallis Hall at practice in, in the media room, uh, albeit masked and, and, and uh, you know, still taking certain precautions uh, as the season wore on and there were outbreaks. Uh, uh, we eventually were not able to get out, uh, and not just us in Chicago, but all NFL teams where media was no longer allowed in the facilities, and we went back to strictly Zoom. But uh, fans stayed in the stands. We had probably the uh, the greatest playoffs, I think, at least in the 45 years I've been doing this, the best playoffs I've ever seen. Um, After I complained all season long about uh, kind of a, uh, what I thought to be a mediocre year of the NFL, then the NFL went ahead and put on fireworks all postseason, right? 
Yeah, well, I think there were struggles during the year, and, and a lot of it was because of the balance and because of the parity, Kyle. And we saw it in the playoffs where these teams couldn't be separated until the final play of the game. Uh, um, and during the regular season, uh, well, it's exciting. It gets a little tedious sometimes when you don't know who the good teams and the bad teams are. But once you're in the playoffs, you know you got the best, and they're playing games like that. It was just great theater. And, and you know, the Super Bowl was still a little different, not a full week of festivities. Of course, for the second year in a row, after it didn't happen for 54 years, two years in a row, you get a home team playing in the Super Bowl. But nonetheless, as we head into the offseason, and particularly uh, getting ready to go to the Combine, which didn't happen last year, it did feel a little more normal, and this feels, I think, even more normal as far as the beginning of this offseason uh, to anything we've seen in the last couple of years. Definitely. Um, you know, uh, overall, just in, uh, kind of general in life, you know, uh, we've gotten past the Omicron surge, um, you know, mask mandates. Uh, if you're in Illinois, you're coming off here in a couple of days. Uh, the NFL has kind of resumed a more normal schedule. It, it kind of feels like we're getting closer to everyday life that we are expected. And, and for the NFL and for the, uh, those guys that are on the beat, um, you know, that, one, it makes life easier um, in terms of access, um, but it just honestly just makes life. We've all dealt with stresses at work and stuff, and that goes just up to the NFL level, too, with these guys on the beat. So it feels good to be there in person, um, to feel a little bit more normal. And that helps, um, you know, with our coverage because the players feel a bit more relaxed, too, when it's a normal situation. Yeah, and Kyle, I, I do want to be careful. I don't want this to sound uh, wrong. We are talking strictly about the NFL and, of course, the pandemic and COVID. Uh, we are not unaware as that we were as we recorded as day three of war in Europe. Uh, we well, some we things do, feel more normal. Some well, things, yeah, do not. <laughs> and the only reason I bring it up is because we do football here, we do sports here. We occasionally delve off into some entertainment and try and have some fun. Uh, but we don't get into politics. It's not our place. We don't speak editorial or for, editorially for our newspapers as far as policy. Um, but I think everybody can agree. We certainly are all being touched by it. And all of our thoughts and prayers go to the people of Ukraine uh, and, and the hopes that, that uh, sane, sameness, uh, sanity, you know, will prevail in this. Uh, uh, it's, it's an unthinkable horror right now. Um, but again, we're, we're not going to get into the politics of it or choose sides, uh, but, but we certainly uh, are, are not belittling it and we're not ignoring it and, and, and wish but nothing but the best for the people of Ukraine. Uh, bringing it back to the NFL, um, you know, I, I think, Kyle, part of the, this, this reason of familiarity the, the, or the reason for this familiarity that we're feeling a little bit this morning is because, as I said, the Combine is next week in Indianapolis. Uh, there was some minor turmoil around that over in the week, some agents threatening to boycott because of some of the COVID protocols that the owners, uh, NFL, were putting in place. There were some discussions and apparently negotiation. They settled on something that we don't know that every agent is going to be satisfied and every player is going to show up. And for the most part, the threat of the mass boycott up to 150 of the top prospects has been uh, removed. And, and, and we do, as near as I can tell, looking at the schedule, um, I, you know, you do have to be vaccinated and boosted to attend the combine. Uh, but other than that, it does look like it's going to be, you know, fairly close to what we've become used to over the years. I'm sure there'll be a lot of people wearing masks. I will be. But, you know, other than that, I'm, I'm not seeing anything that is going to make that this different from the combine that we've come to know and enjoy. Yeah, it's going to feel a lot more normal um, from the, uh, an evaluation standpoint 
for both teams and the media. Um, getting back to normal when it comes to the combine, I know there's been a lot of talk the last couple of years. I mean, it makes things more difficult when you're trying to do pre-draft analysis, and uh, you know you you haven't seen these guys in person, so. Well, I mean, you know, the combine does exist for a reason and, and, you know, not having seen them in person, watch tape. And that's where the most important evaluation does come from. Don't let anybody kid you. You talk to the most, you know, successful evaluators, uh, drafters, uh, team builders, personnel directors, they will tell you, you can't replace what these guys do in games. And that happens on tape. Sometimes you get a better feel for it when your scouts are on the road and you see these kids playing live. Um, But teams that, all uh, dramatically alter their, their scouting reports and their draft boards once the college season is over and games are no longer being played, uh, historically fail. You know, at the end of the day, this is about how good of football players these guys are. But the combine is the first chance to get them all together in one place, compare them side by side, get to know them personally. That's something you cannot get uh, during the season. And the all-important physicals, the medicals. That is, uh, you know, you have a group of doctors there. Teams bring their own doctors as well for kids they're particularly interested in. Um, but, But this is where you really start to understand now not only how good they were in college, but if, <clears throat> excuse me, there are any physical reasons or restrictions that they might not be able to continue to develop and de- develop fully in the NFL. That, and again, the one-on-one interview, starting to understand who these young men are, starting to know something about them as people, finding your leaders, finding your followers, uh, finding guys who, to the best of your ability to read them, have the kind of heart and intelligence you're looking for, and other guys who may not come across all that well and sometimes can scare you away a little bit. Uh, you you bringing up the injury, um, you know, getting a chance to go through the physicals brings me to one of my least favorite times of the year after the combine when we start hearing the reports of what was found um, and we have to sort through what's noise and what's legitimate. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it hurts it hurt some of these young men. It does. Uh, it drops their draft status. It costs them a lot of money. You know, eventually, if you're a top prospect, you're going to get a chance to play somewhere. And, and so – you know, rarely does anything that pops out in the physical cost or end a career. It's happened, but it doesn't happen often. Um, you know, one of the most interesting ones that I recall, this goes back about, I'm mean, going to guess, seven, eight years now, but Maurice Hurst was a top defensive tackle coming out of the University of Michigan. I recall this one because I'm a Michigan alum, <laughs> uh, and it has nothing to do with it being Michigan. It was just, you know, an unfortunate story. And they discovered it was it wasn't an irregular heartbeat i forget what it was but something in his physical showed up that there could be an issue with his heart and this is a young man who had played you know uh, four years at one of the top football schools uh, in the country he was one of the top defensive tackles in the country he went from a first round pick to i believe it was a fourth or a fifth round pick he is still in the league you know ended up he didn't become an all pro but but he has had a solid nfl career and yet the difference between that first-round contract and that fourth- or fifth-round contract is you're talking about eight, nine, ten million guaranteed, uh, you know, regardless of, of where in the round you fall. And that's the kind of thing that you just hate to see happen to these guys. Yeah, um, and it happens every year. Um, you know, a lot of times it's not – we've had seen over the years, uh, you, know, I, you said it wasn't a regular heartbeat, but that has cropped up a few times. Um, you hear a lot of back issues that all of a sudden get found out about during this. Um less so on the knees, but definitely backs uh, tend to be the big one. They're actually going to find broken bones that were never discovered and healed by themselves. They're going to find ligaments that are still torn. 
it, yeah. it, every once in a while you get a guy who, whose ACL is torn and he never knew, you know, it, it sometimes it just, it, it's a combination of what nerves it touches and how much pain it causes. And then the threshold of, of pain. And I'm not saying some of these guys are, you know, tougher or braver than others. It's just, it does hit people differently. You know, different people have different thresholds of pain or what they consider pain. Uh, and sometimes it has masked injuries and it all comes out in these physicals. And then what's really interesting is you get the doctors competing, you know, and, and so, you know, one doctor sees this, another doctor sees it, but thinks it has a different impact or, or different, you know, ramifications. And so, um, uh, but it is invaluable because it really gives these teams, you know, each team starts basically with seven picks every year. And there are always, you know, 300 to 400 NFL level prospects and finding your seven out of those three or 400 or five or nine, if you've traded around and acquired picks, uh, these are really valuable assets, and that's why they want to be so careful with these physicals. Yeah, absolutely. We've got um, a good amount of questions starting to build up here, Hub. We want to dive in? I think we should. This is kind of a, a free show this week, guys. We're going to get into some specifics with the Combine and the Bears, but for the most part, not a lot of breaking news as we wait for the Combine. So let's hear what's on everybody's mind, and Kyle, I'll let you decide who gets to go first. Well, we got a couple of questions from Gary Ross here, and I'm going to do them back-to-back, but before we get into the player stuff, we're going to go. He's got a question that you can probably talk a lot more about than I can here, but Gary asks, um, Hub, what do you think of the complete overhaul of the strength and conditioning staff? I think, Gary, it's part of the coaching staff, and it's not unusual. It happens often, uh, probably most of the time when a new coach is hired. You know, he wants somebody that he knows he's comfortable with. I think the fact that in this case they brought back somebody who's had tremendous success here in the past with Lovey Smith when Jim Arthur was here. Um, uh, now, you know, I, I am not qualified to evaluate or judge or rank strength and conditioning coaches. You know, we don't actually get to see the program in action, you know, we tend to look at a team that suffers a number of injuries, uh, um, you know, like and, soft tissue injuries. Yeah. And, tend and to it, get attributed to that. Exactly. And people go for the strength and conditioning guy. But the reality is that, you know, sometimes strength and conditioning doesn't have much impact on certain soft tissue <laughs> injuries, you know. So, um, but it, it's certainly an important part of every NFL team. Uh, you know, they've put together a respected, uh, you know, group and, and, um, uh, we have to hope they'll do well. I, I do like the fact that, that this is a group that was here, uh, you know, the last time the Bears went to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he was the coach under Lovey Smith, and, and, and Lovey, you know, had the best run of any Bears coach in history other than Mike Ditka and, and George Hallis. I got that wrong. Other than George Hallis and Mike Ditka, I should probably be careful with how I do that. Um, uh, so, you know, Gary, it, it's promising, but, but to, to try and really say, you know, thumbs up or thumbs down would be impossible. All right. Now, here's a question from Gary I can't answer. Do we think that we will hear from Ryan Poles of what he currently thinks of the current Bears O-line players? For example, can Jenkins play left or right here, move back to center, or do you have to sign or draft? Gary, um, I think that we he will talk about where he's at on the offensive line. We will read into it. He will not, nor should he, call out individual players. Now, when you know specific to your questions, um, you know, Jenkins right or left is certainly that's that's open, you know, for, for discussion. That's something that he should at least tell us what he's thinking, you, you know, and uh, whether that's going to happen 
this coming week at the combine when we get to visit with them, whether we're not going to know until they get to, to mini camp and they're going to get an extra veteran mini camp because they have a new head coach. Uh, we may not find out for another month or two, but yeah, at some point we're going to know what they think about Jenkins and where he fits best. It's interesting. You talk about white hair moving back to center. Um, if they re-sign James Daniels, I can't imagine that they wouldn't leave Whitehair where he is, where he was drafted to play. Remember, he was a center by emergency need only because Ronis Grassou tore his ACL in training camp his rookie year. Um, uh, James Daniels, if you re-sign him, is the guy that you would consider moving back to center. And, and you know, I want to be careful here, Kyle. People act like Sam Mustafer is, is, is a revolving door or a hole in the offensive line. Sam Mustafer is not that bad. I mean, this is not the biggest issue on the Chicago Bears. Mustafer is limited physically, and, and so there's some things that he's never going to do. But he's also still a young player who's improved every year, who does an outstanding job with the line calls, is extremely smart and tough, and and it wouldn't be stunning. I'd say it's no better than 50-50. They're going to have a different center this year. Uh, you can upgrade the position. He, again, he's limited athletically. He's never going to be the best center in the league. James Daniels has that kind of ceiling. you know. So if I was going to make a move, it would be with Daniels, certainly, not Whitehair. Yeah, I mean, uh, you you go into this off season, and uh, well, I guess first off, uh, I do want to go ahead and plug. We are working on our report card series, um, and Sean did the interior offensive line, and it was funny. We bring up Sam Mustafer. He had um, a graph. I can't remember where it was from. I don't have it right in front of me right now, but it, it essentially it charted all the centers across the league, across the X axis and the Y axis, and if you're in the top right corner you know, that means you're really damn good. And if you're in the bottom left corner, you're below average. Sam Mustafer was literally where the X and Y axis intersect, which means he was completely league average, which is sounds about right. Right. And I mean, so the analytics back that up, um, you know, there's a lot of people that, that seem to really want to pile on some uh, Sam Mustafer. I just, uh, yeah, they could upgrade the position. There's just other areas that they need to upgrade over that. I, particularly if you bring James Daniel back, and this really is a million dollar question going into the off season is how they arrange the interior of that offensive line. Because once we figure that out, that's going to dictate what they do at, at the tackle position. It's really going to dictate how they spend their money across the board this off season. I think. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Sean did the interior, I did the tackles and in doing the tackles, we, you know, th these uh, pieces are all archived at shawlocal.com. If you want to get the position by position review, because each one comes with a plan for 2022. And when I wrote the tackles, I said, you know, what I would do if I was Ryan Poles is free agency is rich with veteran quality tackles, all of who played on the left side. Teron Armstead has been an all-pro. He's 31 years old. The Saints are $80 million over the cap. I don't know how they're going to re-sign him. Cam Robinson is a younger version at 27. Not an all-pro, but a pretty good left tackle in Jacksonville. They franchised him last year. I don't know what they'll do this year. Uh, then you look at Trent Brown and Orlando Brown. Eric Fisher, a guy that uh, when, when Ryan Poles was in Kansas City, they made the number one overall pick in the draft. He's probably a notch below uh, an Armstead or, or a Trent Brown, uh, but has been very good when when surrounded, you know, w with good offensive talent. I would go get one of those guys, lock down the left side, the blind side of my young quarterback who I'm trying to develop, who holds the ball too long and who doesn't get rid of it quickly enough and protect him. And if you do that, you move Jenkins back to the right side, where I personally clearly think he believes. You kick Larry Borum inside to guard, which is where some teams had him rated as a day-two draft pick, thinking that was going to be his position in the NFL. Then I do re-sign James Daniels. I put him at center. I've got Mustafer for depth. 
But now, if you had uh, Teron Armstead at left tackle and, and Jenkins at right tackle, and you had Cody Whitehair and uh, Larry Borm at guard, and possibly you know Daniels at center, the makings of a pretty good offensive line, and that's one signing. That's one free agent not using any of your draft capital. So uh, there's different ways to go. That's what I'd like to see them do. They've got the cap room to make a couple decent sized moves, uh, and, and so Armstead, you know, wouldn't be out of the question. Um, he has been banged up a little bit the last couple of years, so you got to be careful there. We get back to the physicals. It may be that a Trent Brown uh, or a Cam Robinson is a better option, but these guys are all going to get paid to different degrees. Um, and and other than Robinson, um, I guess Orlando Brown is still pretty young too. But the other three um, are middle aged. You know, they're they're going to get nice contracts, but they're not going to break the bank. So I think this is something the Bears should take a look at. Well, I'm looking here. Um... I mean, I definitely think the Bears are going to look at left tackle and free agency. We had it was funny. Um, you, you hit Cam Robinson and, and uh, Orlando Brown Jr. Throw this up there. Mark was asking about those two guys. Um, I think any of those names you mentioned uh, are in in a possibility. Uh, Orlando Brown Jr. He was traded from Baltimore to Kansas City last offseason. Huh? Played pretty well there. Um, I haven't looked into the Kansas City cap situation. Is he someone that could be franchised? Well, you can always, yeah. I mean, the Chiefs are not in that much trouble that they couldn't manipulate things and afford a franchise tag. The thing about Orlando Brown Jr. of the group of the five that I mentioned, though, he really had been a right tackle. He he was drafted to play right tackle in Baltimore. Ronnie Stanley got hurt last year, went down, and they moved Brown over. He played well on the left side, um, but but his ultimate upside really seems to be at right tackle of this group. Now, if, if, if they believe Tevin Jenkins is a left tackle, you could you could sign the right tackle. I mean, you know, lock down one of those positions and kick Borum inside because he can play anywhere up and down the line. Um, but they've just they've struggled at left tackle for so long and so badly that I'd rather see them go get a proven left tackle. So, I, you know, when Mark, when you say could they, I, 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 do they, you know, target them? I don't know. But these are there's five tackles worth talking about. This is two of them, and these are the two younger ones. And so, in that regard, now they may be a little more expensive though because they're younger. So uh, that that's part of the deal too. It, the other thing I'll ask here um, for your opinion on Hub is obviously Tevin Jenkins had the setback with the back injury and then got on the field and was. I mean, what's the best way to to categorize it? Rusty or uh, at least, you know, he didn't know what he was doing. Yeah. He was Justin Fields, a tackle. I mean, when you play these rookies, you know, now usually tackles figure it out quicker than quarterbacks, but he didn't get on the, he had no training camp until what week 10 or week nine somewhere. Yeah. We might've been even later than that might've been about week 12. Uh, So I guess my question or my, what I wanted your analysis on there was um, while he um, struggled, once he did get on the field, Larry Borm really excelled out there uh, at tackle position when James Peters was out. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about the potential Larry Borm kicking back inside. Do you think there's a chance considering him, his success outside that the yeah. bears might say that, Hey, we want to stick there and see how that develops. I, I wouldn't have a problem with that. I want to, I want to be careful with the use of excelled though. Um, he, he surprised, I think. Is a better I, yeah, word than uh, excelled. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, excelling at left tackle is, uh, you know, that that's pretty hard to do, but the fact that he, carried himself well and didn't look out of place and, and, and didn't make any big mistakes for a rookie who'd never played the position was really impressive. But more than that, it's just when you look at him, 
I watched tape of him at Mizzou, and he was a big, sloppy brawler. I mean, you that loved, was it. You loved him coming out of Mizzou. I did. Well, yeah. and it was because of some – I think I've talked a little bit about this. NFL prospects now have these training camps they go to by position. And there are certain guys there are the quarterback gurus. There's the offensive line gurus. Charles Bentley, the former Pro Bowl center, I believe it was in Cleveland for a number of years, holds a camp in Arizona every year for interior offensive linemen that is like – it's like going to Harvard for offensive guards, you know, and there's another guy named Paul Alexander who they have on the NFL network a lot. And I believe he has a website or at least a Twitter follow that you can get into. Alexander's really good. And I had heard him talking about Borum after I'd watched some tape on him. And he said at the time that, because he did play tackle in Missouri, he said he's going to be a, a pro bowl mauling right tackle in the NFL. But then what happened is between his last game at Missouri, and it was in progress at the Combine that didn't really exist. Remember, they, they had some players, but there was no media. We didn't see any of these guys. But then by the time he showed up after the draft, I don't know if the Bears knew this when they used a fifth-round pick on him because even the old big sloppy guy at, at 340 or 350 was worth more than a fifth-round pick. He had dropped 30 pounds and converted probably another 20 pounds of, of, of flab to muscle and showed up with a different body and not carrying all that extra weight, showed some athleticism from the first rookie minicamp that nobody expected to see. And by the time he got in with the veterans, he was holding his own. And I, I got to tell you, if they don't decide to, to do more at the position, if they figure they'll just use a, a late draft choice and continue to build depth, I prefer Borum on the left side than Jenkins. From what we've seen of the two of them so far, I just don't know that either one of them gets you to the elite left tackle level that you'd like to be if you're going to have an elite quarterback. Yeah, and it leaves you really thin. If it doesn't work out, you're probably going to struggle. So I, I do think the Bears are going to add a, a tackle in free agency. Um, question here. Well, first off, uh, uh, before I get to CJ's question about uh, linebacker, he uh, chimed in about um, Orlando Brown Jr. Brown Brown Jr. or Brown has said he wants to stay on the left side like his father, a bone of contention in Baltimore. I haven't seen that, but um, you know, he may, that may be true. That may just be the fact that typically left tackles tend to get paid more in free agency, uh, than right tackles. So you may be saying that publicly just to drive up his price. Yeah. Well, CJ's right. Uh, this was talked about in Baltimore. He played well on the left side. I, I you know, his father is, is, is a good, I don't want to say excuse, a good reason, I guess I should yeah. say. But it was pretty clear that it was about money because left tackles get paid more than right tackles. He had finished his third year in the league. Um, uh, he had played well on the left side. He knew with Ronnie Stanley, who was kind of the franchise left side and should be, is one of the better young left tackles in the league, went healthy. He was going to be the guy in Baltimore. He asked Baltimore for a trade, uh, and that's when they worked out the deal with Kansas City. Um, but that doesn't mean that his ceiling is as high on the left side as is on the right side. And so, you know, whatever team he gets paid by is the team that's going to decide which side he pays on. So, CJ, you're correct. I just don't think he's quite as good on the left side as he is on the right side, although he's young enough that that, that, that does remain to be seen. All right, CJ's question about free uh, about um, linebackers. How about I let you take this away? Uh, CJ says, I know you guys have started to look at the roster. Uh, is there any free agent inside linebacker to look at, or would drafting one be best? Uh, CJ is referring to the series 
that Kyle mentioned a few minutes ago, shawlocal.com. We're doing positional reviews and report cards position by position. Uh, getting near the end, actually. Most of them are already posted at shawlocal.com if you want to go look at any of them. Uh, I believe I've got inside linebackers coincidentally going up today, CJ. So uh, it'll be at the website later today. Uh, and I did just take a look at it. Uh, linebacker is an interesting position, Kyle, because this is where the biggest impact of switching from the 3-4 to the 4-3 comes. Um, you know, when you were in a 3-4, your outside linebackers were Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. Now, in switching to a 4-3, you have this incredible good fortune and bonus on the front end in that both Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack have been all pros playing as 40 front defensive ends with a hand on the ground. They've done them both. As a matter of fact, last year was the first time Quinn spent an entire year as an outside rushbacker in, in a 3-4 defense. So it was literally, well, I should say his first year in Chicago, you know, last year, two seasons ago now. Yeah, we kind of uh, forget about that, that first year in Robert Quinn in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, so... You know, the 4-3 switch, the Bears could – they're going to be really intriguing up front if they re-sign Bilal Nichols because I think he's made to be a three technique. He's been playing out of position in the 30 front. And now with two all-pro defensive ends with a, with a potential playmaker at the three technique, you have to assume that they're not going to re-sign Akeem Hicks. But but even with Angelo Blackson and Kyrus Tonga to play that anchor tackle, um, Eddie Goldman can play that anchor tackle if he's not a cap casualty, although I think he will be. So the line looks really good, but what it does to linebacker is now you need three linebackers. You don't know if Roquan is going to stay inside or move outside to the will. We think he probably will move out to the will. Um, uh, that's where Matt Eberflus had his best player in Indianapolis and Darius Leonard. That's where Lance Briggs played. That's where Derek Brooks played. Um, so we're assuming that'll happen. So you need two more starting linebackers. You need the Mike and the Sam. Um, you look at the rest of the guys on the roster, and nobody's there. I mean, Alec Ogletree is a free agent. Danny Trevathan, it's hard, he's, he's under contract, but it's just hard to see Danny, you know, passing a physical at this point after the last couple of years. And there is a $3 million cap savings if he doesn't or if you decide to move on. That's not a post-June 1 cut. Um, so, you know, even though you've got those two under contract, um, and then you, you add um, – uh, oh, uh, no, he's not. I was going to say, oh, Caleb Johnson, the, the undrafted yeah. rookie free agent from last year, who was interesting. And, and I think we'll probably get a look at that Sam spot. He might even get a look at the Mike spot. But it's really hard to project a bottom of the roster guy to the starting lineup. And so now, you know, the free agents, uh, you know, Alec Ogletree, of course, is a free agent. Joel Booneyway, who's never really panned out as a fourth-round pick, is, is going to be a free agent. The guys you brought in late, Cassius Marsh and Bruce Irvin, who you know aren't really factors, are free agents. Um, and, and then Christian Jones, who's one of your most valuable guys who can play inside or out, is a free agent. So um, I would really like to see him inside, uh, re-sign Jones only because he is so versatile in a 4-3 in a, you know, and, and, and can be your fourth linebacker. Uh, but as far as the two starters... Inside, um, uh, you've got Alex Anzalone. It would be a, an economical move. Uh, um, uh, he, uh, of course, went to the Lions last year and was their leading defender. Uh, Anthony Barr can play that, that Sam spot. I don't think he would play the mic. He's a 30-year-old free agent from the Minnesota Vikings. Um, uh, and there's a few other guys you know, that I wrote up who are interesting. Quan Alexander uh, is intriguing. He's a free agent who could definitely play the mic or the Sam. Uh, although he is also a 3-4 guy. 
Um, uh, but he's still young. He's only 28 years old, and he's a hell of an athlete. So, uh, And there's one other really good name that I'm forgetting uh, at the moment. I don't have the list in front of me. Uh, but, yes, I, I think I could see them. I just We don't know what Ryan Pohl's style is going to be, though. Is he looking for these undiscovered talents, which is what Ryan Pace did? I mean, nobody had any clue what the Bears were getting in Akeem Hicks, you know, is a perfect example. Um, uh, and Mario Edwards Jr. is another one. Now, a lot of these guys had some New Orleans connections, and so you look at some of the Kansas City connections. Um, but, um, uh, you know, they can address it in free agency. It's also a position where you sometimes, if you're talking about Mike, if you're talking about middle linebacker, often the best one in the draft is still sitting there in the 40s and 50s. These guys tend to become second, third-round picks. They're not as valued in the first round as the three, four linebackers are. So my guess is they'll look at it both ways in free agency and the draft. Uh, but I, I think they may probably try and address it with uh, a, a, a less expensive pick. Juwan Bentley is another guy who played uh, 65% of the snaps for the Patriots this year on one of the top defenses in the league, just isn't well-known, but a 26-year-old. Um, so I'd look for one of those kind of names possibly to be uh, you know, similar to – uh, the kind of signing Angela Blackson was last year, you know, I guess is the comp I would look for in terms of the, the level of, or quality of player they might look for at that position in free agency. I, I think that's a, a good analysis. Hub. I don't expect them to break the bank at that position. I do. They're going to have to bring in some bodies. Uh, I think bringing back Christian Jones would be a terrific idea. I think you can probably bring back Alec Ogletree um, at a reasonable price um, to build some depth. I, I don't think it's someone that you want to rely on as a starter, but as a fourth or fifth linebacker, I don't think that's a bad idea. No, I mean, you've got these interesting decisions. You can go back to tackle for a minute. It's almost unthinkable because he's 40 years old. But the way Jason Peters played last year, if he wanted to go one more year and you were staying, you know, planning on Jenkins and Boren being your bookend tackles for the future, I think you'd have to think about that. I mean, he stayed healthy all year long with no offseason training. Um, I don't think they will again because he's 40 years old. And so now you come to the linebacker spot. Ogletree's only 31. Ogletree ended up the second leading tackler on the football team. He was actually tied for third in passes defense and tied for fourth in tackles for loss. He played well. And, and, and knowing that you need quantity as well as quality here, and he gives you a little bit of both, um, I'd like to see them consider it. But you know, you got a new coaching staff, you got a new front office, and, and, and they want their guys. That's just the reality of when these regime changes happen. And you look at it, too. The Bears don't have a lot of draft picks. Um, we talk about them spending potentially. I expect them to spend fairly big at one position. I think that's going to be off to tackle. And then you're going to see more across the board, kind of middle of the pack, I guess, signings. Um, you know, whether that's at cornerback, safety, inside linebacker, a wide receiver. I mean, they, they need to bring in multiple wide receivers. They need uh, multiple tight ends, um, or at least one starting caliber tight end, I think, um, that can play, you know, what, 60 to 70% of snaps. Um, so, you know, I, I, I don't expect there to be a lot of big names, particularly when, you know, the question was about linebacker. I do not expect there to be a big signing at linebacker. You know, the advantage of free agency, you, you should never address need in the draft. If you're drafting a player who isn't who you don't have as good a, a scouting report on as three or four other guys, but this guy fills a need and you take him. Teams do it all the time. And again, that's a great way to fail in the draft. You should always be drafting the best available football player. That's the advantage of free agency. In free agency, you can go out and address need because you know 
These are NFL veterans. You have a much better handle on what you're getting. So, you know, let's take a step back here, Kyle, and realize the first key, they're, they're, the, the two, the Bears have a lot of free agents, but we assume Allen Robinson won't be back. We assume Akeem Hicks won't be back. We assume Jason Peters won't be back. Tayshawn Gibson's 32 years old, played really well for two years with the Bears. I don't know what they're thinking there. Uh, Bilal Nichols and James Daniels are still young, ascending players. And then there's Alec Ogletree. These four guys, all starters, become the key to the Bears' offseason plan. Because if you bring back Daniels and Nichols, which those I'll just go out and, and say, I, I hope they do. I think it would be a mistake not to. At least now, you're not trying to fill starting spots at guard and, and three technique. Yeah, uh, I'd like to see Gibson and, and Ogletree back, but now age comes into play, and I don't know what they're thinking there. But once those four decisions are made, then you know you have to get at least two starting receivers. We talk about three starting wideouts in the NFL these days. Darnell Mooney is the only starting receiver on your roster. So you need two starting quality wide receivers. Even if you do re-sign your own free agents, you're going to need at least one more starting linebacker, even if you do keep your own free agents. And you're going to need probably one more starting cornerback uh, if you do keep your own free agents. So, and, and then if you don't keep your own free agents, you need more. But what we know right now, even if they decide to bring back people that we deem worthy of coming back, wide receiver, outside linebacker, Sam linebacker, and cornerback are critical needs. And, and, and so that's where you should probably assume they may focus their, their the most assets. Yeah, so we got a couple th- uh, comments and questions from Thomas Klein. He had earlier asked about wide receivers in the draft um, and if they can have an impact on rookies. Um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but he had followed it up here. Um, uh, I, probably on the comment about where I thought the best chance for the Bears to spend big was at tackle because he was talking about wide receiver. Um, I don't see how they get through the off, this offseason without giving significant money to a wide receiver. They need a number one, and I think it would be a mistake to count on a rookie to fill that role. So, I, I, I mean, I, I'll say that I do expect the Bears to sign multiple guys at wide receiver, multiple players at wide receiver. I just don't know if there's anyone out there that is worthy of a big time number one con I mean obviously Devontae Adams, but the Bears aren't going that route. Um, you know, like Mike Williams I like. I think he'd be a good fit for the Bears, but I don't think you're giving Mike Williams a, a, a huge amount of money, right? Well, Mike Williams, you know, may be a number one. And he's still in, you know, the, the, just at the high end of those mid twenties. So yeah, I think he's gonna get paid. Um, you know, Tom, it's funny. You, you picked the wrong year to take that stance. I mean, the rookie wide receivers may have never had a bigger impact on the league than they did this year. You know, it yeah. starts with Jamar Chase, obviously. Actually, you go back to last year and this year, now Justin Jefferson in the second year, but 1,000-yard receiver as a rookie. You look at what Jalen Waddell did. I mean, you know, these guys, uh, yes, rookie wide receivers can immediately become number ones or at least produce like a number two with number one ceilings and abilities. So, uh, you know, don't assume that they can't get what they need in the draft. And um, a lot of times these guys do come from the second and third round. Don't, don't, don't ignore that possibility either. There's a free agent, Juju Smith-Schuster, second round draft pick. I, there's a bunch of, you know, some of the best of all time are second and third rounders. Uh, um, you know, so you, you can do it both ways, but because you need at least two, I tend to agree that, that there's going to be one free agent and, 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 and either a second or a third round draft pick. Um, and you know, again, now when we talk about spending big, um, they can't, 
you know, Alan Robinson is 28 years old. Alan Robinson says he wants to stay in Chicago. Nobody is going to even talk to him about what he was demanding from the Bears last year. So I don't know where that one's going to fall. And, and, and Robinson is such a class kid that even this new regime, if they get to know him and they figure out that it's in everybody's best interest to bring him back, you know, on a one year or a shorter term, I, I don't know, you know, how that's going to work out. Um, but if not, there's plenty of guys. Uh, Mike Williams is going to get a lot of money. Devontae Adams may not even be the highest paid because he's 30 years old. Some of these other guys are 26 and 27. Uh, you know, Chris Godwin. You God, Godwin's going to get paid. Well, except he's, he's got an ACL right now, you know, <laughs> and, and so that's, that's – I, I, I guess I should say when I if, – if, if he comes back – if he, if he comes back healthy, sorry, I was I had an echo going. Um, if if he, if teams determine that everything went okay with the ACL injury and they feel comfortable with it, I guess I should say that I expect him to get paid pretty well. I think he's going to get paid pretty well, Kyle. But but there's no way that anybody's going to know between now and August first where he's at on, on the rehab trail because that injury came. Remember later in the season, surgery couldn't have happened before December. You know, and you look at a Tariq Cohn who now, you know, 16 months out, still never got back. He's the exception. I know a lot of these guys are getting back. Look at David Bakhtiari, though. Bakhtiari, you know, there's an interesting one because Bakhtiari tore the ACL in the last game of the 2020 season. Uh, Goodwin uh, tore the ACL, I think it was like week 15, you know, week 14. So, so within a few weeks, okay. Bakhtiari was hoping to make it back for the playoffs and couldn't do it, was activated and didn't get it done. Now, again, a lot of other guys do better. Bakhtiari's carrying 320 pounds on that ACL, you know, which Goodwin won't be. But you, you just you don't know is the point. So yeah. he's too good to get left out there. He, he's going he's gonna to have offers. Now, this, a lot of this is going to depend on him and his camp and his agent and what they're thinking because, you know, they may want to not get tied to a long-term deal, prove that he's 100%, and then get back in the market next year. But when you look at the top guys out there, the names, it's Chris Godwin, it's, it's Devontae Adams, it's Mike Williams, um, and, and then a bunch of really good ones. But those three uh, are a notch above. You know, Will Fuller has shown that kind of ability, but the injuries just keep on happening. Uh, Sammy Watkins is, is a one and a half or a two. Um, I really like Christian Kirk, but he's not as big as I would like. I know you're a DJ Chark guy, but these guys are – they're, they're, Gallup. They're a notch below. Yeah, Gallup. I mean, they're, they're all – they're There's talents. Someone, there's they're someone talents. else on – oh, I mean, you met, Juju Smith-Schuster yeah. you mentioned earlier too, another name that is going to be intriguing. Yeah, I mean, and there, there's a few older guys. I mean, you know, does Matt Eberflus want to bring T.Y. Hilton here on a two-year deal? You know, now he is – yeah. Not a he's not well. I mean, no, Nick. I mean, he's, he's. I mean, he's a great. I mean, yeah. he was a great wide receiver. I yeah. mean, it, I'm not saying I want him to do that. I'm just saying these are the things that we're just not sure of right now. Uh, you know, uh, you know, one thing that would be wise when you this team is young on offense, middle aged to aging on defense, and at some point over the next year or two in this new regime, they're going to want to sync that up. You know, they're going to want to get younger on defense and better on offense. And so in this first year, getting, you know, some slightly older players on shorter-term deals that don't strangle the cap in the next uh, year or two wouldn't be the worst philosophy. Uh, but, you know, we're going to get to talk to Ryan Poles again on Tuesday. I realize I don't know when you guys listen to this podcast, so it's actually Tuesday 
uh, March 1st, we will be meeting, uh, we being the Chicago media, we'll be meeting with Ryan Poles. Maybe get a little, we'll, we'll talk to Matt Eberflus that day as well. Maybe get a little better sense of what their philosophy is, but it's not something that they want to share with the other 31 teams as they get ready to compete uh, you know, in free agency in the draft. So we're really going to have to wait and watch this process this year to get a better feel for what their philosophy and what their strategies are. It's going to be the toughest year to predict with them that we've had since, you know, Matt Nagy arrived four years ago. Yeah. Um, and just to f- one more thing about wide receiver. Um, I, I honestly have just started kind of doing my research, uh, on the draft. Um, but it does appear that wide receiver is pretty deep and that there's going to be some interesting names available in the second round for the bears. And as we saw, and as you mentioned earlier, hub, you don't have to have a first round pick to hit at wide receiver in the NFL right now. I mean, there's going to be guys that can make an instant impact um, next year available at the bears uh, to the bears at what pick 39. I think it's 39. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and Kyle, we will beginning next Friday when, when Sean and I have returned from the combine start using names, uh, you know, in various positions. I, I just, I'm loath to do it because the, the lists, I mean, I've got my initial oh. list and I know how different it's going to be from the list. Say it's going to change an yeah. incredible amount in a week. Uh, but what we do know is the other interesting thing about the point that Kyle just made is that not only wide receiver um, and edge rusher are the two strongest and deepest positions at the top in this draft, but amongst these wide receivers, there's two or three kids who would seem to be certain first-round picks who are, have, have serious injuries. And, and you don't know what that's going to do. At least one of those guys is going to drop down into the second round. And, and so there, there could be a player sitting there at 39 at wide receiver with you know 15 to 25 talent that because of the injury, he falls down. Now it becomes your, your, your appetite for risk. You know, again, there's so much to learn about Ryan Bowles, uh, but there are plenty of possibilities as to how the Bears address the needs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, head over to cornerback here and wrap it up there, I think. We hit the 45-minute mark. Um, to, 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 to Gary uh, had a question about what kind of corners do we target free agency or draft, but he also had this interesting thought up, and I want to throw it up here for you. Well, when you say as a cover two corner, uh, I mean, you know, Kyle Fuller was an all pro. He, he can do pretty much anything you want. And, and in his prime here in Chicago, he was a, a lockdown cover corner, you know. So um, he did not play as well in Denver. Now, now let's not forget that, um, you know, it was a better off season with COVID, but still somewhat truncated. And he was it was Vic Fangio's system, but new teammates, new defense. There is this misnomer that he ended up on the bench. That is not true. He still played, I think, almost 70% of the snaps. Uh, but in drafting Patrick Sertain, uh, you know, they, 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 they got a guy that they think is going to be a pro bowler and all pro. Ronald Darby, I believe, was playing really well for them. Um, and and Kyle's, the, the blush was off the rose. He is 30 years old, 31 years old. I, I heard some things um, uh, after that 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 cap move was made same thing with the charles leno move that um there were some other you know minor concerns when they decided to let these guys move on um leno i believe is a free agent too actually uh i could be wrong uh, i think they that. i think they gave him an extension Did you get an extension yeah, i think they was, gave him an extension that was his reward for almost getting ryan fitzpatrick killed um <laughs> so uh yeah you know you, you look at everything and and fuller 
was, you know, well-liked in that locker room, uh, especially by the young corners. He played his best football here. He would be an upgrade over what they have right now. Um, he isn't going to get big money. And, and whatever history there may have been, good or bad, with, uh, you know, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy is gone. Uh, I know his teammates liked him. So um, it's an interesting question, Gary. I, you know, I, I think you consider everything. Now, again, there, uh, there are young – if you want to go big at cornerback, Levi Wallace of Buffalo I think is really interesting. The, the Obviously, the main one is Jackson from New England, who should have been first-team All-Pro. He was second-team. Uh, he's 27 years old. And, uh, you know, the Patriots tend to let these guys hit the market. We'll see what happens there. The last guy they didn't let hit the market, Stephon Gilmore, is a free agent. Now, he's 32 years old, but he's also a former defensive player of the year. So, you know, Gary, if you're talking about just a one- or two-year transition thing, I don't think they're ready to give up on Kendall Vildor, nor should they be. Uh, he did not fail miserably. He struggled. There is a difference. He, he showed flashes of playing well there. He struggled at times. They know they have a good one in Jalen Johnson. How good is the only question there? Um, but their corner is always a fairly deep position in the draft, too. Uh, where the Bears are really hamstrung here is with just the five picks. You know, I mean, the, the two and the yeah. three are the only ones that, you know, you, a lot of teams do well in the fourth round. You want to have a first-round pick every year. Very few do as well in the fifth round as Ryan Pace did. That, that's unusual. And so, yeah, they got two fives, but not Pace here to make those picks. And then a six. They don't even have a seventh, you know. So um, that is probably going to force them to be more active in, in free agency than they might prefer. And, it, and because of their cap situation, while they have room, Kyle, they're not struggling at all, it, it could push them to make some of these shorter, you know, less commitment-type deals, and that would lead to, to some older, not old, but older veterans. And so I don't think you can rule Fuller out. I said that would definitely open the door for someone like Kyle Fuller, who at 30 years old and coming off a, a, a down year, I guess, by his standards, I agree with you. I don't think he played poorly in Denver um, but at his age and the position you know he's someone you can probably get on a one if not a one or two or three year deal um, if you decide to go there out and I don't think it's going to cost you a ton of money um, I do think it helps that there was a regime change I, I think the odds would be less um, if, if Ryan Pace was still in control with the way things ended in Chicago for Kyle Fuller um, so I think that's a definite possibility I, there was one other name I don't think you mentioned uh, that I like uh, that will probably cost a little bit more money he's on the younger side but Carlton Davis down in Tampa Bay yeah. um, is is said to be a free agent I think he'd be a good fit but I do think he as a younger free agent is probably has one of the top potentials him and JC uh, Jackson who you did mention I think both of those guys are probably going to get decent money they're going to get real money. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and particularly Jackson Davis will get paid too. Probably not, well, definitely not to the level of Jackson. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is that this, the, probably the position least affected by the difference between a 3-4 and a 4-3 is cornerback. I, I mean, you get your coverages set, you play them, you're playing press, you're playing zone, you're playing man-to-man. Um, there is some perception that, that the pass rush may be better and may help the corners more with one or the other. But again, that depends on the front seven. So, um, but uh, it also is worth noting that defensive coordinator Alan Williams is a secondary coach by trade. Uh, you know, that, that's in addition to being the defensive coordinator, that's where he's made his bones in the league. And so my guess is he's going to have as much or more input as anybody into what they do at the position. And Indianapolis, you know, his work there, Indianapolis has done a really good job in their secondary without 
spending a lot of money on it. Honestly, they've they've used some veterans to plug holes um, and, and develop some young guys, and it's worked out pretty well for them. The one guy they made a huge commitment to was Malik Hooker with first round draft choice, and then he couldn't stay healthy. Yeah. You know, and other than that, they've plugged in. I mean, I, I'm, these are good football players, but they've been. You know, day two mid round draft picks. They've been free agents, and 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 you know the defense has been very good. Absolutely. Um, well, let's go ahead and wrap it up here. But we had uh, Clyde just jumped in uh, another regular here, and he had a question about the combine hub that I you are um, well suited to answer here. So we'll close it out on this. Yeah, Kwai, you'll be our last today. It says, gentlemen, I got my ticket for the combine last night. Can you tell me if activities really run to 11 p.m. and where do people eat afterwards? <laughs> um, you, you know, Kwai, um, I, I am not a dining aficionado. I tend to lay low at these events, but Elmo Steakhouse is the place that everybody talks about uh, in Indianapolis. That's where everybody in the NFL will be one night during the draft. It's probably already uh late to get tables there but if you can get into almost steakhouse you want to have the shrimp and the famous cocktail sauce as well as their steaks um uh when when you say do activities really run to 11 p.m um i've never really it's just the last it was two years ago or three years ago maybe they did it for two years it was the first time they added fans and the activities and it's a lesser NFL experience type event. If it says it's open till 11, I guess it is. It's not something that I've observed all that much. Um, and then as far as the ability to actually watch workouts, that's that's a bit limited as well. I can tell you that whatever the schedule says uh, is what I would trust. And, uh, uh, you know, the best I can do for you on the dining front is Elmo's. Um, uh, I mean, there, there's, there's other places in town, obviously. I've, I've spent some time in Indianapolis. I can't remember the name of the street. It's the street that runs essentially, it runs into um, the stadium, not not um, not the football stadium, the basketball stadium. I can't remember. Is it Bankers Field? I can't remember the name of it. But whatever that street is, um, it's hard to miss. It's lit up really well. It's kind of the tourist area in downtown Indianapolis. But there's a ton of good restaurants uh, to try down there. Yeah, I believe it's the, it's the Capitol building that is right there near the near the arena. I want to say uh, uh, I'm not even sure if Indianapolis is the Capitol, but but there, there's uh, uh, some state government buildings there, and the basketball arena is there. It's the center of downtown. It's not uh, a big downtown area, so no, yeah, I mean, you can you can walk it. Uh, my my wife and I actually did a tandem bike one uh, one spring down there, which was interesting. <laughs> Yeah, there, there's a couple good uh, microbreweries. Uh, I want to say the Yard House is one of them. I know there's a Rock Bottom Brewery there, um, uh, which is more of a chain type deal. Uh, there was a Champ. So you know, unfortunately, a lot of these restaurants I don't even know from year to year. You know, uh, the last couple of years, what's still there? Um, but uh, depending quite on where you're staying, it is a very uh, compacted downtown area, uh, and there is uh, there, there is some fun nightlife. Uh, I'm not going to pretend that we don't hit the bars when we're done working and have a few beers, uh, but we tend to keep those spots quieter. So I can't share any of those. Although I will tell you the other, the, the, the real hot spot, um, and I can't remember the name of it, but it, but it's the house uh, casual restaurant at the Marriott at the JW Marriott, which is the main headquarters hotel. And, and, and that's actually connected to uh, Lucas oil where all the events, in the convention center, it's all connected um, but that restaurant slash bar is hopping every night until, you know, one, two in the morning. I don't know what they're closing their liquor licenses, but, uh, you will definitely see a lot of NFL folks in there. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get out of here, hub. All right. Yeah. We want to thank everybody. As always, we want to remind you, if you are listening as a podcast, we actually do this as a live 
uh, YouTube broadcast. We use the StreamYard link. If you go to YouTube, we you go to any of our uh, Twitter handles, at Kyle Neighbors, at Hub underscore Arkish, at Sean underscore Hammond. You can get into uh, the broadcast as we go every Friday morning at 9.30 Chicago time. If not, if you prefer, just listen to the podcast. That's fine. But be sure to go uh, to iTunes or the App Store uh, on your phone or your computer and download a, a subscription. You can get that at shawlocal.com as well. The reason we love to have you join us live is you can take que- you give us questions and, and comments and participate in the podcast. And today you were a huge help as uh, Sean and I were down our third amigo. I'm sorry, uh, Kyle and I were down our third amigo with Sean uh, taking a few days in the sun. So thank you all so much for listening this week. We will be fresh back from the combine next week and really ready to dive into some of these prospects. Know more about free agency as well. We'll have had another visit with, by the way, we, we tend to talk bears here because we're located in Chicago, but our pro football weekly sister, we cover the entire NFL. We will talk to pretty much every head coach and GM in the league at the combine. Not all of them talk, uh, 95% of them do. Bill Belichick does. Uh, you'd think he might be the one who doesn't, but uh, uh, he has most years. Uh, we'll see if he does this year. Um, so we're going to have the offseason kicked off with a bang next week, and our first follow-up will be a week from today, 9.30 next Friday morning. Be sure and join us. Until then, thanks for listening this week, and we hope everybody has a great week.